It's Thursday, May 7th, 2020. I'm Stephen Fee, and this is The Pen Pod, a limited-run podcast from Pen America. On today's edition, it's back. The Pen World Voices Festival 2020 is now online. After having to cancel our in-person events, we've launched a virtual version, providing a whole new way to celebrate literature. Then, how undocumented people are being ignored amid the pandemic, and how we can help lift up marginalized voices, a conversation with Pulitzer-winning writer Jose Antonio Vargas. I'm Stephen Fee, all that coming up on The Pen Pod. This week should have been one of the busiest of the year for us at PEN America. This was when we were scheduled to hold the book talks and lectures and parties that mark our annual World Voices Festival here in New York and in Los Angeles. COVID, of course, changed all of that, but undeterred, our festival team here has re-envisioned what a literary festival can be, launching a digital suite of podcasts, interviews, videos, and more. Here to talk more about that effort, our very own Chip Raleigh. Hi, Chip. Hey. So what's the Digital World Voices Festival? The Digital World Voices Festival. Well, this is, you know, it was, we were absolutely crestfallen when we had to make that decision um, back in the middle of March um, that we couldn't put on the festival, which, as you said, was supposed to happen this week. And the team that I've got to work with, I am so unbelievably lucky because they took that news in stride and pivoted And we were very determined when we decided, okay, what are we going to do instead? We were very determined not to simply do a mere approximation of what a festival in person is, i.e. not to lean so heavily on the live Zoom events. We'll certainly have them, but we didn't want that to be everything we did. We wanted to rethink what what is the best way to deliver this content virtually and digital in a digital way. So all credit to the team I work with they reconceived what I think a festival can be in the digital sphere. And then they went about reskilling themselves to be able to execute it. And I've got to tell you, it feels like such a triumph that here we are launching it today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's an incredible endeavor and there's so much, I mean, there's so much cool stuff to dive into. Um, I know it's like asking you to pick your favorite child, but what's your favorite? Well, you know, it, it is it is hard to pick a favorite. Um, I, I love the podcast that we've done. We've we've launched a um, weekly uh, limited run podcast called These Truths, which was the theme of the festival. And our first episode is with um, the Turkish writer uh, novelist Elif Shafak, who is just an extraordinary, I guess, heroine of our festival um, and such a good friend of the World Voices Festival. Um, And she's in conversation with John Freeman, and they're looking at language. They're looking at the sort of building blocks of what they work with as writers, how it's been hollowed out in the political sphere, and what they can do as writers and storytellers to restore the um, dignity, the decency, the credibility, the authenticity of what words mean and how we deploy them to change and make a better world. It's, it's, it's It's a fascinating conversation. We've also got and you know what a thrill! Um, we've got a um, a series called Pen to Paper, all puns intended. And the love idea it. there is getting um, major writers that we read and love to share with us their sort of insights as to how they unlock their creativity. And we're launching this with Pulitzer Prize winner Jennifer Egan, author of Manhattan Beach, visit the Magoon Squad, um, and, and she's giving us. It's basically a mini writing workshop 
that um, aspiring writers can listen to. And just we, we, we get to hear straight from Jenny from her study in Brooklyn. We get to hear how she unlocks and connects with her unconscious to unlock the creative juices so she can stop that editing part of her brain and unlock um, the creativity that is the driver of storytelling. It's just such a great privilege. Yeah, it's it's a it's a cool feature, and I'll add that we'll we'll have a clip of the uh, these trues podcast in the podcast feed for subscribers here uh, for the pen pod. Uh, and finally, Chip, what can we expect to see in the coming weeks? Well, lots more of that. Um, we've got um, a number of other projects that we're rolling out. We've got a thing called Writers in Residence, where we're looking at sort of a glimpse of the writing life um, beyond the desk, and we've got another special feature that has just been really eye opening, which is called Just Press Play. And it's allowing writers to give us their playlist, the music they listen to, and having them curate that playlist. And that has actually been a real revelation to me that we actually get to to connect with these writers in a completely different way. Of course, we connect with them through their work and through their writing, but now we're sort of connecting with them through music. And it's it actually opens up insights, I think, into their creative minds and their creative abilities. But what we have to look forward to specifically next week, really excited about, is um, for our These Truths podcast episode next week is going to be Ben Okri, the Nigerian novelist, talking about his new book, The Freedom Artist. Well, it's so exciting, Chip. Uh, Chip Raleigh is Senior Director of Literary Programs and Director of the, at least for now, digital version of the World Voices Festival. Congratulations, Chip. Thanks, Stephen. Jose Antonio Vargas is a Pulitzer-winning journalist, an Emmy-nominated filmmaker, and a leading voice on human rights and immigration. He's co-producer of the hit show What the Constitution Means to Me and author of Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. And he joins me now. Welcome to the Pen Pod. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. So first of all, right now we're all social distancing and working from home. Where are you? I am in the Republic of Berkeley, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) the land of kale, fresh kale everywhere. Um, Yeah, so I I settled in Berkeley uh, a few months ago. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, glad you're glad you're hanging in there and staying safe. Um, I do want to ask you just because it's on a lot of people's minds right now about about immigration. Um, You know, we're we were already facing um, a a national crisis really over immigration in this country sparked by President Trump. Um, And now, of course, borders are closed. Refugees are languishing in in camps. How has the coronavirus crisis changed the immigration situation in the United States? Well, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of conversation around how this virus is the great equalizer, mm. right? Um, you know, from Prince William, you know, Prince Charles to Tom Hanks and, you know, Chris Cuomo, right? Um, in many ways, yes, it is. But then it's also, it has also revealed kind of how unequal the response has been. So like, so the first thing I'll note is what? We have so many industries and industries in this country, agricultural industry, service industry, um, you know, the food industry, right? Hotel industry that is reliant on undocumented workers, mm-hmm. right? Talk to Donald Trump about that and his hotels, right? right. And, yet, and yet, here we are passing the largest stimulus package, relief package in the history of this country, modern times. And undocumented workers were completely left off of it. Like we right. don't, right? Like we don't, in many ways, 
you, you, you could argue and argue very well that undocumented workers are actually the most marginalized of all of these groups. Um, I don't want to get into this whole oppression Olympics thing where, you know, one's more right. than the other, but clearly it's completely vulnerable. It completely, it's, it's in need, right? Especially considering that undocumented workers actually pay into the system. We pay income taxes, federal taxes, state taxes, local taxes. And all you got to do, by the way, is go to Google or actually go to defineamericancom slash facts matter. And you'll see that undocumented immigrants have paid billions of dollars in taxes, talk to the IRS and social security. And yet the narrative, the master narrative of undocumented immigrants is so cemented in people's psyche that the government doesn't even want to recognize that it gets money from us. So therefore we're not a part of the relief package. Right. So that was really, um, talk about being socially distant, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like that yeah. was for me kind of, it kind of really, it kind of cemented this idea that undocumented people have always been socially distant from this country. You know, they That's want, the, they, they want the labor. Actually, the country could not survive without the labor. And yet, <laughs> right? We're not right. looked at as actual, you know, so whenever the president or elected official or somebody on TV said, you know, we want to provide to American citizens, you know, does that clearly that doesn't include us legally or morally. Right. I mean, and I think the thing that concerns a lot of us at PEN America, and, I, and I'm sure you, you would agree, is, you know, we've already seen the president um, even though we know that this virus is spreading through the community here in the United States, that, you know, at this stage, border closures really aren't aren't having a massive impact. And yet we're seeing actions being taken under the cover of the virus um, that potentially are just part of a deeper agenda, an anti-immigrant yeah. agenda. And, you know, for me, actually, as an amateur student of history, like my biggest fear <laughs> about all of this is, you know, first of all, as, as you noted a few minutes ago, like they've closed all the borders, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the whole idea of limited mobility and that, so here we are country, we are, we are in many ways effectively shut down immigration wise, right? Here in the States and across the world. So what if the response to this, right? Given what's happened in Brexit, give, given what's happening in this country because of President Trump and Stephen Miller, what if the actual response to this year, months from now and into years from now is that, you know, we actually say, let's close off the borders, like fighting this pandemic means let's just close off the borders. Hmm. So that for me is what I've been sitting here <laughs> trying to wrap my head around. How do we respond yeah. to that? How do well, we respond to this need of public health? Right? And at the same time, you know, in many ways, what's ironic is this pandemic has revealed how interconnected we are as people, right? Yeah. I mean, certainly that wasn't the case in 1918. Right when the right. Spanish flu hit, like we didn't know we we didn't know in real time what was happening to us. Now we know, and so what does that mean for how connected we have to be as people, and how does migration fit into that connection? Yeah, I mean, it almost seems though. I mean, you know, there's there's it leads me to my other question here, which is, you know, y- you could fall one way or the other through this crisis. And on this podcast, we talk to a lot of people who think that there's going to be some degree of reinvention after this. There'll yeah. be no degree of reinvention, or there'll be some sort of, you know, um, more maybe darker scenario or grimmer scenario. I mean, do you fall on the optimistic path, the pessimistic path, somewhere in between? Well, you know, look, I mean, I am, what was that great James Baldwin quote? I, I refuse to be a pessimist because I am alive. 
(laughs) (laughs) To be a pessimist means that life is nothing but an academic matter. So I have to be an optimist. And then I I look at a place like Portugal, right? Like, I don't know if you saw what happened in Portugal, but Mm-mm. Portugal actually, here's the headline in the New York Times, Portugal is treating migrants as residents during the coronavirus crisis. Hmm. So while here we are closing borders, here's Portugal, right? Here's the lead paragraph. All foreigners in Portugal with pending applications will be treated as permanent residents from Monday until at least July 1st, ensuring that migrants have access to public services during the coronavirus outbreak. So that to me is really optimistic that here's, you know, the country of Portugal making a very conscious choice to say that this is not an us about them moment. This is actually about all of us moment. Yeah. I mean, if, if only we could say the same about the United States, right? That, are, mm. that is still keeping what? 40,000 immigrants locked up in detention centers. Now, mind you, like to be here in this country illegally is a civil offense and not a criminal one. And yet the narrative is so attached to quote unquote, we're criminals Right. That's what Fox News says. That's what the president says. That's what the president says. Yeah. Right. And so what does that look like? The fact that here we are in this country, half, half of all farmers that are picking, planting and packaging our food are undocumented. Half. Yep. They have no access. Right. To, to, to health insurance. They have no access to paid sick leave. They have no access, really, if you think about it, to what, what actual social dis- distancing means, right? Like social distancing is not conducive to how migrants have to live their lives so we can eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about the, you know, there's been these uh, questions about supermarkets and running out of food and all these concerns. And yet, you know, the grocery association says, hey, we don't have to worry about the food supply chain in the U.S. And and a lot of that is predicated on the fact that it, it, it rests on yeah. the backs of, of, of well, laborers who are undocumented. Well, because, again, we care we care about the food. I'm not quite so sure we care about the people behind yeah. the food. Right. Well, let me ask you a bit. I mean, you, you've you've done so many great writing projects as a journalist, as a as an author, and so many other venues. I mean, do you find at all that literature right now is is a balm? Is it is it helping oh, us gosh. cope? Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, like I've just been reading. Um, I, I I mean, I, ha- I have to say, by the way, like you know, almost nine years ago now, when I came out as undocumented and started Define American, I never thought. I would see a book, you know, published by a major publishing house like Penguin, you know, Penguin Random House, One World, actually, the imprint called One World. They just published a book um, called The Undocumented Americans hmm. by uh, Carla Cornejo Villa Vicencio. It's called The Undocumented Americans. I'm hmm. halfway through it and it's exquisite. Uh, a few weeks, a few months ago now, there was a book, an, a book by someone who was formerly undocumented, Marcelo Hernandez Castillo, Children of the Land. Um, when my book came out around the same time, Grace Talusan, Filipino-American writer, wrote a book called The Body Papers. So there's actually now like a growing, I've been thinking about writing like an essay about just in the past few years of reading all these books by undocumented immigrants and formerly undocumented immigrants. I just feel like there's a, there's an emerging kind of narrative around what it means to claim ourselves as people and as human beings and doing it through language, you know, doing it through writing. Um, because that's the thing. I mean, you know, writing for me as an undocumented person was 
the only place where I was free. Yeah. Right. It was a place that could not, I don't have to, I don't need a passport or green card to write. I didn't ask permission from anybody. Um, I'm hearing, by the way, the siren. So sorry, yeah. about, sorry about that. But it's the constant of the, soundtrack of being in the New York these days. The constant soundtrack of New York. Um, so I absolutely, I think there is absolutely a need for literature. Um, mm-hmm. A need for the other thing I started doing, which was kind of scary, but now I find cathartic, was I was rewatch. I'm a huge fan of Mike Nichols, the director of Mike mm-hmm. Nichols, who came to this country, by the way, as a refugee. Um I'm, I'm re- I was I'm reading a book right now, a kind of a collection of it's not really like a it's basically like an oral history of Mike Nichols's friends, and then it made me rewatch Angels in America, uh, yeah, really like a landmark movie, right? That you know it's a mini series on HBO that really is a movie, um, and then it, after watching that on HBO again, I ended up reaching for my copy of Tony Kushner's Angels in America. I have the actual play. You know, and there's that great line, right, by um, by Belize, like one of the characters, the nurse, who says, you know, the white cracker who wrote the national anthem knew what he was doing. He set the note to the word free in the land of the free so high nobody could reach it. Yeah. So I think for me, I find I'm finding a lot of comfort in in knowing that whatever we had to survive, we were always we always tried to survive yeah uh well this is lovely having you speak to us uh, pulitzer winning journalist and, and author jose antonio vargas uh thank you for being here i could talk all day oh thank you so much for having me and that's our episode for thursday may 7th 2020 join us tomorrow for the pen pod you can listen to all our episodes at pen.org follow us at pen america on twitter instagram and facebook Sign up on our website for our daily D.A.R.E. newsletter, where we track major stories about literature, free expression, and the news of the world. I'm Stephen Fee for PEN America. This is the PEN Pod. See you tomorrow.